European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 38, Focus Issue, Arrhythmias, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. The growing role of artificial intelligence and of wearable devices in the management of arrhythmias. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is being applied in various fields of cardiology. The primary advantage of AI is its ability to discover features of certain data that cannot be discovered from a human perspective. This focus issue on arrhythmias contains the state-of-the-art review article Artificial Intelligence in the Diagnosis and Management of Arrhythmias by Venkat Nagarajan and colleagues from the Royal Brompton and Harefield NHS Foundation Trust. The authors note that the field of cardiac electrophysiology, or EP, has adopted simple AI methodologies for decades. Recent renewed interest in deep learning techniques has opened new frontiers in electrocardiography analysis, including signature identification of disease states. Artificial intelligence advances, coupled with simultaneous rapid growth in computational power, sensory technology, and availability of web-based platforms, have seen the rapid growth in AI-aided applications and big data research. Changing lifestyles with an expansion of telecommunication technology have opened doors to population-based detection of atrial fibrillation in ways which were previously unimaginable. Artificial intelligence-aided advances in 3D cardiac imaging herald the concept of virtual hearts and the simulation of cardiac arrhythmias. Robotics, completely non-invasive ablation therapy, and the concept of extended realities show promise to revolutionise the future of EP. In this review, the authors discuss the impact of AI and recent technological advances in all aspects of arrhythmia care. With the explosion of anti-cancer drugs, which have substantially improved the outcomes of cancer patients, an emerging concern is the risk for cancer and drug-associated cardiovascular diseases. In a clinical research article entitled Anti-Cancer Drug-Induced Life-Threatening Ventricular Arrhythmias, a World Health Organization pharmacovigilance study, Joe Ellie Salem and colleagues from the Unico Greco Cardio-Oncology Program in Paris, France, use the international pharmacovigilance database Vigibase more than 18 million reports, to compare drug-induced long QT and ventricular arrhythmias, or VA, reporting for 663 anti-cancer drugs versus all other drugs. The analysis used the 95% lower-end credibility interval of the information component, or IC025, an indicator for disproportionate Bayesian reporting which is significant when IC025 is greater than zero. There were 2,301 reports, 14% fatal, for 40 anti-cancer drugs significantly associated with DILQT, with 27 associated with VA, or Sudden Cardiac Death, or SCD, and 9 drugs associated with VA without DILQT. Most, 41% were kinase inhibitors, 8% were hormonal therapies, 6% were immunotherapies, 24% were cytotoxics, and 21% were miscellaneous, 
in the Vigibase, reports of DILQT, Torsade de Point, or VA increased from 580 in the period 1967 to 1983 to more than 15,000 in 2014 to 2018, with the proportion related to anti-cancer drugs increasing from 0.9% to 14%, P being less than 0.0001. 23 drugs represented new signals. Thus, the authors propose a three-level SCD risk stratification, relying on isolated long QT, or low risk, associated with VA without SCD, or moderate risk, and VA with SCD, high risk. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Michael Fradley and Lohit Garg from the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. The authors conclude that the results of this study significantly enhance our understanding of the potential for QT prolongation and VAs associated with anti-cancer drugs, which parallels the rapid expansion of novel cancer treatments over the last decade. While we must remain vigilant in monitoring our patients, it is also essential that we standardise our approach to QT monitoring and continue to develop and refine risk prediction models to minimise arrhythmic complications without unnecessary cessation of potentially life-saving cancer therapy. Patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM, have a higher risk of sudden death. Risk stratification algorithms for SCD in HCM and regional differences in clinical practice have evolved over time. In a clinical article entitled, Worldwide Differences in Primary Prevention Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator Utilization and Outcomes in Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy. Caroline Ho and colleagues from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, sought to compare primary prevention implantable cardioverter defibrillators, or ICD, implantation rates and associated clinical outcomes in U.S. versus non-U.S. tertiary HCM centers within the International Sarcomeric Human Cardiomyopathy Registry, or SHARE. The authors included patients with HCM enrolled from 8 U.S. N equaling 2,650 and 5 non-U.S. N equaling 2,660 sites and used multivariable Cox proportional hazards models to compare outcomes between sites. Primary prevention ICD implantation rates in the U.S. sites were twofold higher than non-U.S. sites, hazard ratio or HR, 2.27, including in individuals deemed at high five-year SCD risk, greater than or equal to 6%, based on the HCM risk SCD score, HR 3.27. US ICD recipients also had fewer traditional SCD risk factors. Among ICD recipients, Rates of appropriate ICD therapy were significantly lower in the US versus non-US sites, HR 0.52, 0.28 to 0.97. No significant difference was identified in the incidence of SCD stroke resuscitated cardiac arrest among non-recipients of ICDs in US versus non-US sites, HR 1.21. 
The authors conclude that primary prevention ICDs are implanted more frequently in patients with HCM in US versus non-US sites across the spectrum of SCD risk. There was a lower rate of appropriate ICD therapy in US sites, consistent with a lower risk population, and no significant difference in SCD in US versus non-US patients who did not receive an ICD. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Perry Elliott from UCL in London, United Kingdom. Professor Elliott concludes that the quest to find new risk predictors in HCM will continue, but low event rates and disease heterogeneity will make prospective validation of prognostic biomarkers extremely challenging. In the short to medium term, the best we can expect is a recalibration of existing models with routinely collected data, including left ventricular function and genotype, while recognizing that overtreatment with ICDs will be the norm. This puts a huge onus on industry to redouble the efforts to mitigate the downsides of ICD therapy. More optimistically, a plethora of emerging disease-modifying strategies, including small molecules and gene therapies, create new horizons in patient care that, in the same way that drug therapies reduced arrhythmia and heart failure deaths in patients with left ventricular systolic dysfunction, offer new opportunities for the improvement of survival and quality of life of patients with HCM. Congenital long QT syndromes, or CLQTS, or drug-induced long QT syndromes, or DILQTS, can cause torsade de point, or TDP a life-threatening ventricular arrhythmia. The current strategy for the identification of drugs at the high risk of TDP relies on measuring QT interval corrected for heart rate, or QTC, on the electrocardiogram, or ECG. However, QTC has a low positive predictive value. In a clinical research article entitled Deep Learning Analysis of Electrocardiogram for Risk Prediction of Drug-Induced Arrhythmias and Diagnosis of Long QT Syndrome. Eddie Prifty from Anserm in Paris, France and colleagues use Convolutional Neural Network, or CNN, models to quantify ECG alterations induced by Sotolol, an IKR blocker associated with TDP, aiming to provide new tools, or CNN models, to enhance the prediction of drug-induced TDP, or DI-TDP, and diagnosis of CLQTS. Tested CNN models use single or multiple 10 seconds recordings per patient using eight leads or single leads in various cohorts. 1,029 healthy subjects before and after Sotolol intake, 487 CLQTS patients, and 48 patients with DITDP. CNN models outperform models using QTC to identify exposure of Sotolol. Area under the Receiver Operating Characteristic Curve, or AUC-ROC, equals 0.98 versus 0.72, P being less than or equal to 0.001. CNN models had higher AUC-ROC using multiple versus single 10 seconds ECG, P being less than or equal to 0.001.
performances were comparable for 8-lead versus single-lead models. CNN models predicting Sotolol exposure also accurately detected the presence and type of CLQTS versus healthy controls, particularly for CLQT2, AUC ROC equaling 0.9, and were greatest shortly after a DITTB event and declining over time, PE being less than or equal to 0.001, after controlling for QTC and intake of culprit drugs. The authors conclude that CNN models applied to ECGs outperform QTC measurements to identify exposure to drugs altering the QT interval, congenital LQTS, and are greatest shortly after a DITDP episode. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Peter Schwartz from the Istituto Oxologico Italiano Istituto di Ricovero e Cura a Caratere Scientifico in Milan, Italy, and Hanno Tan from the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. The authors conclude that the study by Prifti et al. has the potential of being groundbreaking conceptually and in its translational impact. Indeed, the possibility that the risk of life-threatening arrhythmia might be reduced by involving patients in monitoring their own risk with an easy-to-use wearable device that uses AI to detect telltale ECG changes well in time for them to call on their physician and for the physician to take appropriate life-threatening actions may no longer belong to science fiction. Distinctive types of polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, or VT, respond differently to different forms of therapy. In a clinical research article, polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, ischemic ventricular fibrillation, and torsade de point, importance of the QT and the coupling interval in the differential diagnosis. Raphael Rosso from the Tel Aviv University in Israel and colleagues performed the present study to define the electrocardiographic characteristics of different forms of polymorphic VT. The authors studied 190 patients for whom the onset of 305 polymorphic VT events was available. The study group included 87 patients with coronary artery disease who had spontaneous polymorphic VT triggered by short-coupled extrasystole in the absence of myocardial ischemia. This group included 32 patients who had long QT interval but nevertheless had their polymorphic VT triggered by ectopic beats with short coupling interval, a subcategory termed pseudotorsade de point, or TDP. For comparison, Rosso and colleagues included 50 patients who had ventricular fibrillation, or VF, during acute myocardial infarction, the ischemic VF group and 53 patients with drug-induced TDP, the true TDP group. The QT of patients with pseudo-TDP was by definition longer than that of patients with polymorphic VT and normal QT, QTC 491 versus 447 milliseconds, P being less than 0.001. However, their QT was significantly shorter than that of patients with true TDP. QTC 565 milliseconds, P being less than 0.001. Importantly, the coupling interval of the ectopic beat triggering the arrhythmia 
was just as short during pseudo-TDP as during polymorphic VT with normal QT. 359 milliseconds versus 357 milliseconds, P equaling 0.467, but was much shorter than during true TDP. 581 milliseconds, P being less than 0.001. Rosso et al. conclude that the coupling interval helps discriminate between polymorphic VT that occurs despite a long QT interval, pseudo-TDP, and polymorphic arrhythmias striking because of a long QT, true TDP. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Christian van der Werf from the Amsterdam Universitaire Medische Centra in the Netherlands and Pierre Lambiers from the University College London in the United Kingdom. Van der Werf and Lambiers congratulate the authors on providing new and clinical relevant insights, even after decades of publications on ventricular tachyarrhythmias. They indicate that these insights into polymorphic VTs have been made possible simply by going back to the carefully curated series of electrocardiograms that they have collected over the years, hence re-establishing an approach using an historical simple investigation in the modern era. The relationship between physical activity and atrial fibrillation is complex. In a clinical research article entitled Day-to-day -day measurement of physical activity and risk of atrial fibrillation. Matthias Pinto Bonnison from the Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark and colleagues investigated the association between within individual changes in physical activity and onset of atrial fibrillation, or AF. A total of 1,410 participants from the general population with risk factors but with no prior AF diagnosis, underwent continuous monitoring for AF episodes along with a daily accelerometric assessment of physical activity using an implantable loop recorder during approximately equal to 3.5 years. The combined duration of monitoring was approximately equal to 1.6 million days where 10,851 AF episodes lasting greater than or equal to 60 minutes were detected in 361 participants, or 26%. The median daily physical activity was 112 minutes per day. A dynamic parameter describing within individual changes in daily physical activity, i.e. average daily activity in the last week compared to the previous 100 days, was computed and used to model the onset of AF. A one-hour decrease in average daily physical activity was significantly associated with AF onset the next day, odds ratio 1.24. This effect was modified by overall level of activity, P being less than 0.001 for interaction, and the signal was strongest in the tertile of participants with lowest activity overall. The authors conclude that within individual changes in physical activity are associated with the onset of AF episodes as detected by continuous monitoring in a high-risk population. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Dominic Lintz from the University of Adelaide in Australia and colleagues. Lintz et al. conclude that despite several limitations, the current study is encouraging in that one, 
It makes a valuable contribution to our understanding of how we can draw upon the vast quantity of data being recorded with implantable devices. And two, enhances our understanding about how risk factors and lifestyle behaviours vary on a day-to-day -day basis, which may determine the daily AF risk and thereby the daily AF pattern. This enables us to take a glimpse into the future in which a rapid growth of wearables may enable real-time monitoring of risk factors prior to the onset of AF. A key question is then whether we can use this longitudinal risk factor and lifestyle monitoring to guide interventions to keep AF away. Clearly there are several significant steps that need to be taken before this occurs, but the efficacy of risk factor management in this population coupled with the growth of wearable devices that permit the detection of AF and longitudinal monitoring of lifestyle components simultaneously, makes this a very real possibility. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.